This is the one with the Doctor's bottomless pockets, a straight-up Wild West space yorkel, milfs in metal wigs, and a Venetian carnival mask in space. It's called the Space Pirates. Here we go. We're embarking on a voyage all through time and all through space. Counting Daleks, Dalek boot, and the Cybertronic race. Sontarans look like taters, and Silurians all have wonky scales. And the Doctor has a TARDIS. We're reviewing all his tales. Who back when? Reviewing all of who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and read all night shoes, please. Episode by episode, we're trudging down this temporal road. Come join us on this odyssey. What other choice could there be than who back when? Who back when? Hello, ladies and gentlemen of Podcast Land, and welcome to episode C049 of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Oh my goodness, 49. We are really, really steadily getting uh, close to the end of the Troughton run. And today we are looking at the Space Pirates. Ahoy! Wait, what? Who's that? What? Ahoy there! Oh, hello. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I've just been joined by Drew. Drew Back When. Hey. Drew? Who the bloody hell's Drew? <laughs> Flashbeard's the name. Space Piracy's the game. Who wow. was the first go walking my plank? <laughs> Watch out, ladies, you're going to need a pair of walking boots. People keep mistaking it for a pair. Hurrah! Oh, wow. <laughs> Hello, Rick Mail. Yo-ho-ho and a totty <laughs> full of cum. I fill them up by the galleon. Hooray! So, uh... You know, before I came along, the Milky Way was just called the Way. <laughs> wow. All right, well, ladies and gentlemen, it looks like you're in for a treat, because uh, for the first time ever, Drew has joined for a, a classic. Yar! <laughs> Ladies was, and gentlemen, argh. was was it the pirates? The space pirates, me lad. Right. So, <laughs> didn't realize you had so elaborate a, a pirate shtick. Uh, this is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So I've been waiting for this episode. Well, I'm I'm thrilled. Uh, when did you watch this? Um, haven't actually watched it yet, but Space Pirates, what's to know? Uh, <laughs> that's a fair point. I watched it last night, but I will happily sit down and rewatch it with you now. Shall we press pause? Go into the next room? Watch it? Come back? Yes. Oh, brilliant. Okay, then. It's a six-episode arc, and unfortunately, only one of those six episodes is still intact. Uh, 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 Five of them are missing, uh, uh, which we... Yeah? Um, ah, uh, uh, so... You just have to listen to them? Yeah. Oh. D- ah, ah, oh, wouldn't you know? Terrible shame. The Royal Space Navy just appeared off the starboard bow. <laughs> I... <laughs> Best be on my way. Plenty more booty up for grabs in male's object. Real galaxy, look it up. And I got just the super cluster to do it. Woof, woof! Uh, goodbye, Drew. <laughs> ah! Yeah, so this is going to be a solo. <laughs> And I can't really blame Drew for that. If I'd been watching this in the 60s and I were looking for more spare time in my life, then, yeah, this is the episode where I might have been inclined to stop watching the show. (laughs) No, that's a tad hyperbolic. In all honesty, there are parts of this serial that I really enjoyed. And it's kind of fun to scroll through the bullet points I committed to paper, uh, iPhone notes, while watching this, because I constantly oscillated between liking and disliking it. I have notes here to the effect of... uh, What do I mean to the effect of? I have notes here like... I'll read this out loud. Milo Clancy's space-incompatible attire makes me want to hurl into my lap. But I also have Milo Clancy is my hero. (laughs) The thing is, I feel a tiny bit biased here, but okay, let me put this into context in case you're a first or few-time listener. As I said before, The Space Pirates is a lost episode, a lost serial. You're probably aware of the BBC having misplaced, destroyed, or otherwise lost a bunch of classic episodes. Different times, no flash drives, you can fill in the blanks. Consequently... While there is already a divide between Whovians who will only ever watch New Who and those who will gladly dip a toe in Classic Who as well, there is also an enormous F-off, thal-killing crevasse between Classic Whovians who will watch the Lost episodes and those who find it too much of a struggle. For context on thal-killing crevasses, listen to our review of The Daleks, the second ever Classic serial. Pretty good one. Hang on, more context coming up. I don't normally provide this much detail, by the way, but why I'm doing so will become clear soon enough. These lost serials are, they're just that, they're lost, but in most cases the audio recordings are still available. Hence, many if not all of them are available as audiobooks with narration to fill in the gaps where visuals are normally required. And they're great, they really are, but they're also obviously not as good as the real thing. And then this fantastic fan-driven production company emerged called Loose Cannon Productions, and they created recons, reconstructions, of those lost serials, basically slideshows of images from the sets, the few surviving screen grabs, and occasionally animations and images of their own. There are some of them in this serial as well. Loose Cannon made 
I mean, oh man, they made an incredible effort. Holy twin cocks of Beelzebub, they must have worked their bottoms off to make all of these recons. I love them. Well, yeah, <laughs> I do. They are a slog, though. Take the Daleks Master Plan, for instance. I keep going back to that in, in, on Who Back When. Twelve episodes of grainy black and white images occasionally flipping from one to the next, while unremastered audio plays in the background. Yeah, it was tough getting through that one, let me, <laughs> let me tell you. So, okay, don't worry, context coming to a close now. Because it's not easy to convince people to watch those recons, for obvious reasons. I've been going through them on my own here on Who Back When. Almost all of them, anyway. And the response from you fine peeps in podcast land has been overwhelmingly positive. Basically, uh, rather than uh, the standard roundtable dialogue approach we have, you know, when there are two or more of us, in these, in these solos, I've basically gone through the Lost serial sometimes painstakingly, you know, granular plot point by granular plot point, and giving you my, my personal interpretation of what I've seen along with, you know, any trivia that I could dig up, which is not wholly objective, um, but, you know, at least it's a little more action-packed than watching one of the recon slideshows. I'm not saying it's better. It's not, let's be honest. The recons are purer in many ways, but in other ways, those, you know, the, these solos are easier to get through. At least that's what many of you have said. So I'm, I'm glad to have brought more who to your eager earballs. But, context conclusion, get back in the room, guys. This is the final one. After this, it's all intact, more or less anyway. There are no more completely lost episodes, let alone completely lost serials. And so I can't help but feel both a bit of pride, I'll be honest with you, uh, in this accomplishment, but also a little <laughs> verklempt, because I've actually really enjoyed these solos, and perhaps thus I'm inclined to be lenient towards the Space Pirates. What did it ever do to me, after all, you know, except of sort of entertain me for two hours, or however long it took to sit through it, so... Sorry for rambling there. Uh, it's a little bit emotional. Alright, let's get started. Time for a bite-sized chunk of who. Time for us to synopsize, clarify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brief and listen to this overview, this free-for-all. We like to call a bite-sized bite chunk, chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. The Doctor and his companions, Jamie and Zoe, aka Jay-Z, materialize aboard a satellite, or a space beacon, just as space pirates space blow it up. They survive, of course, locked inside one of the isolated compartments of the beacon. In the future, you see, space beacons, among other things, are made of Argonite, the most valuable mineral in the galaxy. Yeah, we'll get to that. And the space pirates basically steal space beacons, and then space melt them down to get the Argonite. Enter stage left, the Interstellar Space Corps. <laughs> A law enforcement organization named in a fashion that would make Terry Nation fans smilingly slip into a pile of their own spunk. Anyway, the Interstellar Space Corps hunts the pirates. Enter stage right, Milo Clancy, a Wild West prospector and space yokel, whom the Space Corps suspects of being the mastermind behind the pirates, and who soon bumps into Doc and Co. Enter through a trapdoor center stage, Madeline, or Madeline, I can't remember now, Madeline Isidri, a lady who wears a giant metal Nefertiti wig and who runs one of the largest Argonite mining facilities in the galaxy and who happens to be the sworn enemy of Milo Clancy. Holy smokes! Excitement coming up, right? Well, we'll see. B-Scout over. You are welcome. Before I start with episode one, check this out. Just to give you an idea of how badass a mind this story came from, uh, it was written by Robert Holmes. And if you look him up on TARDIS Wikia, you will find the following. I'm going to read this straight from TARDIS Wikia. Major characters and concepts created for or debuting in a Robert Holmes script include The Crotons, The Third Doctor, Liz Shaw, The Nestine Consciousness, The Autons, The Master, for crying out loud, Joe Grant, Mike Yates, Sarah Jane Smith, Gallifrey was first identified as the homeworld of the Time Lords in The Time Warrior. It had previously been seen, but not named. Uh, he also invented the Sontarans, the Matrix, what? Rassilon, Borusa, whatever that is, the Eye of Harmony, holy smokes, Romana One, the Key to Time, the White Guardian, the Valiard, uh, Sabalon Glitz, great name by the way, Morbius, and the 12 Regeneration slash 13 Life Limits for Time Lords. Oh. My. God. He also wrote... <laughs> Rattling these off TARDIS Wiki again. The Crotons, the Space Pirates, duh. Spearhead from Space, Terror of the Autons, Carnival of Monsters, The Time Warrior, The Ark in Space, Pyramids of Mars, even though he was credited as Stephen Harris for that one. The Brain of Morbius, where he was credited as Robert... Robin Bland? What? What kind of name is that? 
He also wrote The Deadly Assassin, The Talons of Wang Chiang, The Sunmakers, The Rivals Operation, The Power of Crawl, The Caves of Androzani, Legendary, The Two Doctors, The Mysterious Planets, and The Ultimate Foe. But only the first and 13th episode of that, of the last one. Well, oh, I am spent. Shall we just call it a day? <laughs> that was pretty great. Okay, so clearly this comes from a, a very creative and very talented man. All right, let's jump into this bad boy. It is a six-episode arc. Only episode two is still intact. The rest is reconned by Loose Cannon. There is an audiobook version of this, uh, but I've not listened to it. I know one of our listeners has, though, S Gamer, the Steve Meister himself, who reached out on Twitter, and he's he sent in a mini-review of this as well that I read out loud later. We've got a few minis for this one, actually. Not read them yet. Looking forward to it, though. There are two things that I really want to mention before you begin. <laughs> I feel like I'm kind of backtracking here, but all right. They are spaceships and spacesuits. In this era, and I'm not actually sure in which time this takes place, but one assumes before the wheel in space, um, as they're talking about the early days of space prospecting and so on. Uh, in this era, spaceships either look like hammerheads, which is awesome, or like, you know, those long-nosed plague doctor masks? Badass. <laughs> Spacesuits, meanwhile, are also a mix. Uh, either they look like spacesuits, fine, or they look like medieval armor <laughs> replete with metal studs uh, and a helmet that does not fully cover the head or, you know, aid in breathing in any way. So bear all that in mind. Episode one, <laughs> we start off with one of these plague doctor masks docking with a satellite. In step, a dude, as in onto the satellite step, a dude in a medieval spacesuit, and two regular hazmat-style astronauts. They plop some explosives outside the satellite. The, the medieval chap, Caven, is the leader of the space pirates. He scoffs at the camera and goes, yeah, I'm here to steal this shit. And then they leave and blow up the satellite. Cut to a different ship, a giant hammerhead owned by the Interstellar Space Corps. <laughs> and here we meet three main dudes, General Nikolai Hermak played by Jack May, who is perhaps most famous for having voiced Igor in the animated series Count Duckula, <laughs> and who speaks with the weirdest space accent you can imagine. What is our arrival time? Still 90 minutes to go, sir. We are going to be too late again. Then there's Major Ian Warne, played by Donald G. G. I'm going to go with, hmm, I'm going to go with G. Donald G. That sounds pretty cool. Sounds very gangster. The OG, whom we'll encounter again in The Monster of Peladon, in which he played Ekoslev. Not sure who that is, but I look forward to meeting him again. And then there's Penn, played by George Layton, who otherwise has appeared in a bunch of big Finnish Doctor Who audiobooks, including Countermeasures, Onto the Breach, and The Havoc of Empires. I know a lot of you are really into the audiobooks. Sorry we haven't reviewed any of those in a while, by the way. JD's super busy with work at the moment. But yeah, anyway, I suspect some of you may have recognized those audiobook titles. And frickin' Penn was in them, so that's pretty cool. Alright, moving on. Ian tells General Igor that, according to their readings, one of the beacons just disappeared. And Igor gives his colleague, who clearly would know this already, all of the exposition we need. In fact, he even relays the information over the ship-wide tannoy, just in case any members of the crew have been asleep for the last 200 years. <laughs> So what he basically says is, yeah, Argonite is the most uh, valuable substance in the universe. It's r really, really attractive to thieves. And now they have a new mission. They're going to abandon their current mission, whatever that is. I don't think we ever find out. And they're going to go guard the remaining beacons, hopefully catching the pirates in the process in case they think of doing anything similar again. Well, I wonder if that's going to happen. Uh, yeah, within seconds, the pirate ship is docking with another beacon. <laughs> Rinse and repeat. They blow up the beacon again. There's a chase and the pirates get away. Ian and Igor figure out what's going on here. The pirates are cleverly putting little booster rockets on the individual segments of the beacons, then blowing the segments apart, and then boosting, 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 boostering, boostering. I'm going to go with boosting. Then boosting them to some remote collection point. So the only solution, General Igor says, is to plop space guards on the remaining beacons for anything up to six weeks. Totally arbitrary number there, <laughs> so that they can catch the pirates if and when they strike again. And the hilarious thing here. Uh, is that, I mean, this is a little out of order, but we're going to find out that when they obviously do strike again, he immediately assumes <laughs> that this means all his men have died. So this is a fucking suicide mission. All right, cut to another beacon where Lieutenant Zorba, with an S, I've got him down as Zorba with a Z, uh, leads a bunch of soldiers on this beacon's part of the suicide mission. 
By the way, one assumes that there are soldiers starving to death on all the other beacons now as well, but we never find out. Anyway, crap, I'm saying anyway all the time again. All right, Zorba, uh, he's told that it will take six weeks, and then he's left by Igor and company. Six seconds later, <laughs> the TARDIS arrives aboard the same beacon. Incidentally, this is about 15 minutes into the first episode. That's a chunk of a cold open without the TARDIS crew. Anyway, the tra- oh, I did it again. The travelers are mistaken for pirates, and then they're chased into a remote compartment of the beacon, and then coincidentally, the real pirates arrive on that self-same beacon. There's a firefight, and most of the guards are killed. Zorba tries to radio for help, but he's injured. Still, Igor and friends notice this, and they head off to the rescue. And Caven, remember, the medieval astronaut guy, he takes the radio transmitter... <laughs> <laughs> I might be able to get a screenshot of this. I'm not sure if it exists. But yeah, so he takes the radio transmitter, he holds it up in his hand, and then he laser blasts it to shit while still holding it in his hands. What the shit? That is so unsafe. All right, so he then laser blasts a door control panel, sealing Doc and Co. in the compartment, and they head off. <laughs> Long story short, the beacon is blown up, and Doc and Jay-Z are tossed around in their little compartment, separated, one assumes, from the TARDIS, which is hopefully still in a different compartment. We don't know. End of episode one, episode two. As I said, this episode is perfectly intact. You can find it on Daily Motion, or obviously you can purchase it online if you prefer. Um, Igor and Ian notice another ship on their radar now. It's the Liz 79, which I've got down as the Liz 69 at this point, piloted by the legendary space prospector Milo Clancy, a last remaining remnant. Can you say that? A last remaining remnant? A last remnant of the early days of space pioneering. And this is probably a good time to mention that, and in the spirit of full disclosure, this is mentioned on TARDIS Wiki as well. This serial has lots of archetypes, not of medieval times, as I may have insinuated, or even of swashbuckling stories, as the title implies, but of Wild West stories. Caven and his men are the outlaws, Igor is the sheriff, there's a mining company, we'll get to that in a sec, and then there's Milo Clancy, whom I, I've got down in my notes as True Grit, because he's literally a chap from the Wild West. In this case, he's a prospector, so not totes True Grit, but you catch my drift. He wears a plaid shirt, he has a big mustache, and he speaks like a hillbilly. <laughs> Why don't you just go home where you came from? How do you know what ship they have? Because I crossed their thieving flight path a couple of times, and if my old Liz had any speed about her, I would have rammed them. Also, side note, we meet him as he's prepping breakfast aboard the Liz Loves to 69, where his, quote, solar toaster, end quote, needs repair, and he has a metal box that dispenses fresh eggs. Is it just... What, no! What, what the fuck is inside that box? Does he keep a chicken in there? What kind of eggs are those? Ugh. Whatever. He has a Skype machine with a huge sign that says, Call, and now that sign is flashing, interrupting his breakfast. It's General Igor, and uh, True Grid is wonderfully and hilariously dismissive of him, just wanting him to mind his own business. But he has no choice. So, you know, soon their paths are going to cross. Back in Beacon Compartment... <laughs> The doctor wakes up and doesn't give a damn about Zoe, totally ignores her, steps over her, in fact, and then tries to wake up Jamie. <laughs> uh, cut to the Space Corps Hammerheads, where Clancy's now walking around with a laser blaster over his shoulder, reminiscent of a pickaxe in, like, a Lucky Luke cartoon, <laughs> being hilarious and awesome. He says he lost two loads of Argonite to the pirates, and the government never cared. But now that one of their satellites has gone missing, they're assembling the fleet, which is fair enough, if you ask me. So he leaves... And we learn that Igor and Ian believe, you know, this bumbling old man to be the mastermind behind the pirates. And that they let him leave in order to follow him to the rest of the gang. So it's, it's, a, it's a big trap. It's a con. Igor goes to the nearby planet of Tarnow, where the Isigri mining facility is based. And I want to say Ian, or maybe, maybe it's Penn, uh, whoever. He gets into a minnow which is a smaller hammerhead-style ship, and also the name of a fish. I had to Wikipedia that. And uh, he heads off to follow True Grit. Cut to the good guys, where Zoe, now awake, calculates that they're going to die of asphyxiation soon enough, and Doc pulls a magnet on a string out of his pocket. Now, this could be a drinking game, by the way. The Doc has an infinite amount of pocket space. They're like mini TARDISes. And he gives Jamie and the kids watching the show in 1969 a magnet tutorial, and then he says that he'll... He'll polarize the hull, or something to that effect, in order to magnetically pull it to the nearest segment. But Zoe says he may accidentally repel them into deep space instead. Uh, and she's right. She's totally right, because that's exactly what happens. Gosp, you do? Gosp, you should. Now they're off into deep space. On Tar, meanwhile, Hermac is hanging out with Madeline Isigri, the head of the Isigri mining company, who's this 
MILF who wears a giant metal wig a la Nefertiti and who provides unnecessary exposition about herself and Clancy. <laughs> Apparently her dad went missing some years back, was presumed dead but never found. I wonder if that means he'll resurface, by the way. Spoilers. And at that time, Clancy was suspected of being involved in some way. Igor reckons that means True Grit therefore must be the Pirate King, and Maddie Goodhead looks at the camera and all but fucking winks at the audience. I wonder if that means she's the Pirate Queen. Spoilers. Ian or Penn aboard the Minnow, uh, they, he, he, whoever it is, radios in to say that True Grit has now docked with a piece of beacon and speeds off to arrest and or blast him out of the sky. Cut to the beacon, which True Grit now boards, indeed. And he assumes Doc and Jay-Z are the pirates and seemingly shoots Jamie dead. You murderer! End of episode two, episode three. Ah, it was Ian aboard the, the Minnow, because my next note is General Igor tells Penn to take the Hammerhead ship, quote, 20 miles <laughs> away from the planet Tar. 20 miles? What? That is not a lot. <laughs> Unless these are space miles, the, the way that there are nautical miles, you know. And it's actually a whole lot more than I assume. In any case, that's hilarious. Ian now catches up with Liz Loves to 69 and fires warning shots across the bow, and True Grit and the Travelers head off because apparently Jamie survived, surprise, surprise, and apparently True Grit now trusts them because they are, quote, a boy, a girl, and a nutcase. <laughs> this is why I love True Grit. We learn that Argonite, the most expensive material in the world, this is the most expensive mineral in the galaxy, is what is used to build nearly everything technological ever. Because it's flexible, yet super strong, it's lightweight, super heat proof, etc. So spaceships are also made of it. Now, funnily, Argonite also attracts copper, so he deploys thousands of copper needles into space which latch onto the minnow and allow them to get away. He's great, by the way. <laughs> he keeps calling Zoe stuff like Chigabitty. And to hide in plain sight, so to speak, the <laughs> Liz digs it from behind, surreptitiously lands in the heart of the freaking Argonite mines on the planet Tar, mere miles away from Maddie Goodhead et al. We learn that True Grits and old man Isigri mined the planet Tar so much back in the day that they turned it into a piece of Gruyere. We turned that whole planet into a piece of Gruyere cheese between us. Which is lovely, except Gruyere doesn't traditionally have any holes. And then we cut to Maddie Goodhead's office, where General Igor, who's just about to leave, suddenly spots a model of a black spaceship that happens to be identical to the one the pirates are flying around in. On a table, just like that, in her office. Apparently, the Isigli Mining Company just bought two of them, very recently. So freaking obviously she's part of the shenanigans, right? And the pirates are flying around in one of her ships. But then she plops a striped nose cone on the top of it. And thus Igor still thinks Clancy is the pirate leader. Freaking hilarious. This thing, by the way, it looks like... It looks like something out of Beetlejuice. Like, it, it's it's stripy. Anyway, you get my drift. It looks like a Tim Burton thing. So, yeah, uh, freaking hilarious. And, yeah, what did I say? Did I just say this? Yeah, anyway, so General Igor assumes that Clancy is the pirate leader, which is ridiculous. And weirdly, Madeline remains skeptical about True Grit's involvement, which is very misleading. I mean, either she wants suspicion cast onto others, or she doesn't. And she's clearly involved. Did I mention she all but winked at the audience before? By the way, I, I can't remember if it's now or later. <laughs> but there is one scene in which she looks straight at the camera. I mean, straight at it. Then to the side, probably at the director miming to her to stop looking straight at the camera, and then back at the camera, and then off to the side again. And they kept the take. It is great stuff. Cut to the mines, where Clancy plops out of the Liz likes it on top to conduct repairs, and where he could clearly just steal all the Argonite he wants. They are in an Argonite mine now. Great security, Sigri. Well done. Zoe calculates that the TARDIS must be nearby, based on some techno mumbo-jumbo, obviously, and they also reckon Clancy's a pirate, incorrectly, so now they all plop out. Cut to Caven and Dervish. Dervish, did I mention him? He's like the main henchman. Uh, between whom there's some serious shit going down. Caven wants to redirect the latest beacon segments to True Grit's home planet of Lobos in order to throw suspicion on him. Makes perfect sense. And he threatens to kill Dervish if he doesn't help. Let's round this off. True Grit returns and discovers the Travelers have gone, so he grabs his gun and chases after them, and then cut back to the Travelers, where in short they stumble upon the pirates who are dismantling the stolen satellites, <laughs> oh, by the way, that is made out of Argonite, a material that is, we've already learned, heat-resistant, but heat proof is practically indestructible, <clears throat> with handheld blowtorches. <laughs> The pirates notice and they chase them, and we end very nearly on a literal cliffhanger as the travelers fall down a mineshaft. End of episode 3, episode 4. The mineshaft leads into a cell where they find Zorba with a Z or S, take your pick, whom Doc nurses back to health, giving them an automatic new ally who, spoilers, is not going to last. <laughs> By the way, uh, when they fell into the cell, okay, check this out. 
Doc landed on a bunch of drawing pins in his pocket. So, drink. Drinking game, remember? Yeah. Which I assumed would come in handy, because these these pins, they get a lot of airtime. They're like on screen for a full minute, but they never resurface in the serial, so that's already a minute that you can cut out of this. Makes sense, right? Cut to Caven chatting with Dervish aboard the, wait for it, Beta Buccaneer. That's what his spaceship is called. <laughs> and in fact, is what I think this whole serial ought to have been called. The Beta Buccaneer. Dervish wants to pull out again. <laughs> but Caven now proves his assery by revealing he's got remote bombs aboard the Beta Buccaneer. So Dervish continues with whatever his B-plot was, I forget. Oh yeah, send them to Lobos. Alright, back in space, Pen or Ian, no Pen. Ugh. Whatever. He nearly catches up with the Buccaneer now, but the pirate flies into an Isigri-striped nose cone, the kind that we saw before, and ta-da! The International Space Corps are flummoxed to the point of letting the Buccaneer go. Guess that's why they pay them the big bucks. Drink again, people! Because back in the cell, it turns out Doc also has a stethoscope and a tuning fork in his pocket. (laughs) And he uses them to unlock the sonic door or whatnot that will lead them to liberty. And as they do, True Grid arrives. As do a couple of pirate gods. True Grit shoots one of them, the other escapes, and now so do Doc, Jay-Z, TG, and S, whom I've got down as Z. There's another firefight, culminating in the Doctor, a man of non-violence and brain over brawn, electrocuting one of Caven's Deuteroonies to death, painfully and mercilessly. And Doc and Co. continue to evade capture. <laughs> Sorry, it's slightly bullet-pointed here. Alright, we get another cutscene of Caven destroying a control panel with his blaster. So, drink people, I feel like that's another drinking game, <laughs> he just shoots a control panels willy-nilly. Uh, and then Doctor and Co. meet up with the others in Goodhead HQ, where True Grid asks Maddie Goodhead to contact Igor and tell him about the medieval astronaut. That makes sense? I feel like that made sense. Let's end on ambush time. Madeline still doesn't believe their story, which I don't get. Is she playing them? Actually, she must be. Anyway, makes perfect sense. She pulls a gun on True Grid and Caven enters and laser blasts Zorba to total shit. Farewell, Zorba. You were good while you lasted. End of episode four, episode five. Maddie now has a change of heart. When she employed space pirates, <laughs> I guess she never thought they'd do anything illegal, like murder people, <laughs> or double-cross you. And I guess she didn't mean it when she pulled a gun on True Grid. Maybe that was just, you know, meant to look threatening or something. Doc and Co are taken away by pirates now, and they're plopped in an old library by some pirate guards. Trivia time! One of the guards here is played by Steve Peters, who has a metric nut-ton, that's about two space tons, of who credits to his name. Check this out. In addition to Pen. And I appreciate that you've barely gotten to know him in this serial. <laughs> Steve Peters also appeared in The Romans as the mem- very memorable Man at Banquet, uncredited. <laughs> the Seeds of Death as a very recognizable Ice Warrior. In The Space Warriors as this pirate god, duh. And then later on in The Ambassadors of Death as both an alien astronaut and some chap named Joe Lafee. <laughs> But here's a fun thing, he also appeared in the Peter Cushing movie, The Daleks Invasion Earth 2150 AD, as lead Roboman. Isn't that kind of cool? I think that's kind of cool. Okay, hide your boners while I continue. The library is apparently Domisigri's old study. It's totes malotes dark in there, no light whatsoever, but there are a couple of candles in the room, which is, uh, I guess, understandable, and which the good guys find, somehow, <laughs> despite the darkness. And we finally get a chance to see Zoe fumble to wrap a medulla oblongata around a concept, because she's never heard of candles before. <laughs> what? <laughs> never mind how that clearly would never happen. Doc gives her a candle tutorial, and Jamie gets to smirk at her ineptitude, finally. Really pleasing to see that, or hear it, you know. Then, dum-dum-dum, Dom, Maddie Goodhead's long-lost, presumed dead, but clearly very much alive dad, appears. Yep, still alive, and freaking Caven locked him in there a long time ago without access to a barber, so now older boy, <laughs> that's Dom, looks like a mad hipster douchebag. And for a chunk of this ep, we're treated to clips of True Grit trying to get his old buddy, old boy, <laughs> who's been locked in that room for aeons, to remember him, which eventually he does. I don't know how long he's been in there. Or, I mean, it's been years, definitely. Caven and Derwish, meanwhile, uh, begin to put a plan in place whereby they're going to fit the Liz Does Dallas with a remote detonator bomb thingy and remotely turn off its oxygen supply at will as well. What's the plan? Glad you asked. They're going to pop the good guys aboard the Liz Guzzles rocket fuel, then send it into space, get the space corps to try to space arrest them, and then space blow them, and thus the prime suspects of the crime, to space smithereens. Maddie Goodhead, now reformed, tries to radio the Space Corps for help, but Caven cuts the transmission short and reveals he has her daddy, Dom Perignon, old boy himself, locked up and still alive. And it is heartbreaking. She just crumbles before him, poor Maddie. And, and understandably so, even though, come on, she's been... Ugh. I mean, 
completely unaware of the fact that he's locked up in the basement all this time? Like, she never noticed? I suppose she didn't notice a bloody rocket ship just landed a few miles away either, so fair enough. But still, yeah. The officer's suspicions are raised by the abrupt call, though, and they set a course for Tar. And then Doc and Co. do the old, let's use these candles to create smoke and lure the guards in here so we can knock them out and escape trick. And it is executed flawlessly. So off they go. The good guys are separated somehow, with Jay-Z stuck elsewhere now, and Doc, True Grit, and the Count of Monte Cristo, Maddie Goodhead's dad, are aboard the rocket. The Liz. <laughs> oh, I can't think of anything. I don't know. Uh, the Liz insert porn reference here. Uh, and, <laughs> and Kevin now sets off his remote control thingy, and apparently the rocket can't take it, and is about to blow. <laughs> oh, there's a joke in there somewhere. Alright, so Doc gets out, but he's knocked down by the rocket booster fumes. There's lots of smoke, lots of tension. Cliffhanger, end of episode 5. Episode 6, the final episode. Oh, this is going to be a short review. I'll speed through this one as well. Bullet point time, for all time's sake. Kapow! The rocket makes it out all right, but there's no airflow, and True Grit and Old Boy are going to die up there. Maddie Goodhead is pleading for Old Boy's life now. Shazam! Jay-Z, meanwhile, find and help the Dockmeister, and together they head off to see Maddie Goodhead. Kablamo! Igor and friends turn up and get the scoop over the space radio from Old Boy and True Grit, and Doc talks True Grit through how to fix the remote control issue. Bing bong! Cut to Derwish, who, as per Maven's orders, sets explosives next to a, a prominent in-your-face sign bearing the word radiation, <laughs> which Kevin explains is going to result in a detonation the size of 80 old-fashioned hydrogen bombs, because one presumes that's a reference that most people in the year goodness knows when will be familiar with. Ta-da! The bad guys plop off, and shortly thereafter, Doc puts a hazmat suit on and goes in to defuse the whole radiation debacle. Problem solved. Wow. That didn't last very long. Uh-huh. Blam! General Igor blows up Caven and Derwish in their spaceship. That's pretty much it. Hooray! The day has been saved. Should have bullet-pointed all of the previous apps as well. <laughs> this could have been a five-minute review. Maddie Goodhead and True Grit get over their differences. Everyone's happy, and she's just about to be reunited with her dad, old boy, the Count of Monte Cristo himself. And we close on Doc and Jay-Z going to get a lift with True Grit to wherever the TARDIS is. Which is absurd, isn't it? I mean, isn't the TARDIS just down below on TAR? And we don't find out whether they actually do get to the TARDIS or not. I mean, obviously, most likely they will. There is another episode after all, but come on, closure please. <sighs> End of The Space Pirates. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. I'll be brief, albeit not as brief as uh, is the new Vogue. Did I like this? Yeah, I suppose I did. Even though, oh my goodness, did it drag on. <laughs> uh, you could cut significant swathes out of this one and thus not lose momentum, which is the one thing I really feel that chunks of this serial lacked. There's a little too much repetition, hence why you could turn it into a drinking game, and, and there are some elements that I didn't find particularly understandable. Argonite is the most valuable substance in the galaxy. This is the most expensive mineral in the galaxy. But somehow everything is made of the stuff, and owning millions of tons of it doesn't make you wealthy enough to retire. You know the, uh, the one last caper before you retire trope? The Danny Ocean syndrome, the insert most stereotypical high stories here thing? This disproves it. Apparently you can be a billionaire and still not be a successful enough thief. On top of that, Argonite attracts copper, but no one ever thought about this? Uh, stopping an Argonite ship seems pretty easy to me. It's not very challenging. And what happens if they fly too close to anything containing copper? Unavoidable crash? I don't know. I do really like the Wild West themes that were, uh, that were used here, though. And while I hated True Grit at first, he really grew on me. Like a sexy fungus. <laughs> He pulls off what the American stereotype atop the Empire State Building in the William Hartnell serial The Chase did not. And overall, despite ridiculous uniforms, I didn't even mention this, but Derwish or Penn or whoever, he wears a helmet that looks not almost, but exactly like the tip of a penis. It's a Herman helmet. He wears an actual cock hat. <laughs> Screenshot on whobackone.com. Okay, in summary, yeah. It's an okay serial in my book, but not a great one for reasons already stated. I'm going to give it... A 2.9. Listener, 
And we have some listener minis. I've not read these yet. I'm going to read them out in <laughs> for the first time in real time on the record. This is great. The first one, this is in chronological order. The first one comes from Aaron Zimmerman, Dr. Z. Oh, yeah. Hello, Aaron. How are you doing? Aaron goes, I always go into a Doctor Who serial wanting to like it, but I knew it was a bad sign when I had no memory of this particular story. I also try to give the reconstructed episodes some extra leeway since it's harder to get into the action. I actually kind of enjoy the still photo plus audio recons, but I just could not care about this tedious story. (laughs) Random bullet points. This story seems to carry on the theme of old, obsolete men showing themselves to be unexpectedly clever and useful around spaceships. Oh, so true. (laughs) Next bullet point. It may be the future, but Zoe still has to make the gents a pot of tea. How did I not mention that? Yes. Oh, okay, wait, hang on. I'll, I'll run through these comments afterwards. She goes on. The high point of this entire serial is the varied and highly original headwear everyone seems to have. Yes, agreed. <laughs> lots of screenshots, lots of screenshots. Is it just me or did Madeline's helmet have a part line? Was that a helmet or a, a weird fake metal hair? Yeah, I think that was, I think that was a wig. I think that was a metal wig. And it's, actually, I didn't mention this, but it's not just Maddie Goodhead. It's uh, like everyone there, sorry, I say everyone. We only get to meet two members of the Isigri, I want to say family, but like two members of staff. One is Maddie Sigri, and the other one is like her, I guess, second-in-command? And who is also a lady wearing the exact same uniform, including the metal wig thing. It absolutely has a parting. Anyway, all right. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Erin goes on. Poor Milo the space yokel. Uh, good expression. <laughs> I don't understand why everyone is so sure that he's smart enough to pull off multiple heists of unobtainium, <laughs> or whatever that stuff is. Yeah, excellent rep. And final bullet point, so the baddies supposedly kept Madeline's father for years in a sealed up room right under her nose while they were often away doing their spice pirating and no one was the wiser? Ugh. (laughs) Oh well, at least War Games is up next, she says, and she gives this a 1.2 out of 5. Wow. Dr. Zed's Yet another fantastic mini-review. You are so right, and I cannot believe that I didn't point this out. Yeah, so we get another, uh, the female member of the team serves the gentleman tea. (laughs) Zoe proves herself to be a genius in this episode. She also proves herself to be quite incompetent in in terms of not knowing what a candle is and how to operate it. But, But surely at this point, when we have the greatest mining company in the world run by a woman, and we have Zoe who is a genius and in fact actually calculates things that the doctor very clearly cannot calculate himself. Why does she have to serve the dude's teeth? It's, uh, it's ridiculous. Love the unobtainium reference. <laughs> and I agree. I mean, yeah, he is a yokel. <laughs> uh, why would anyone think that he was clever enough? But I guess maybe General Igor, who is, I mean, he is an idiot, isn't he? he I think he is an idiot. There's a, all right, so here's something that I didn't mention either. There's a great scene. I feel like I must have bullet pointed this, but maybe I didn't read it out. So there's a great scene in the very beginning, is episode one or episode two, in which uh, General Igor asks Penn, who's like, he's at the controls, he tells him like, why the shit have you lost them? You're useless. This is terrible. And then he just walks up to like his captain's chair, his general's chair. And his immediate reaction is just like, hmm, coffee. Oh, Penn, you are an incompetent, useless. Keep trying, Penn. Yes, sir. Ah, coffee. Yes, please, sir. And he's drinking coffee and he's like forgotten about everything. This guy is... He's like Trump texting. You know, he, he really does not deserve this rank. <laughs> and it's, uh, I, I don't blame him for, for misreading <laughs> the yokel that severely. It's, it makes for good TV. I, I enjoyed it. You say at least War Games is up next. I take that to mean that you are very familiar with War Games and that that means that it's a good one. Uh, I know that it's a legendary one. And as in, I've heard the title being bandied around the interweb, so I'm looking forward to seeing it. I... I don't know yet. All right. Anyway, uh, Erin, thank you so much for sending that in. Ladies and gentlemen of Podcast Land, if you want to say hi to Erin, if you want to high five her, uh, you can. She's on Twitter. She is at Dr. Z. That's Z with double D's. Next up, we have Steven. Steven, 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 Steven. That's right. S Gamer Radio 2 himself. Hello, Steven. Glad to hear from you again. It's been a while. All right, so Stephen goes. This is the one starring Don Knotts as Captain Malcolm Reynolds. Uh, At least that's the impression I got from the Space Pirates secondary character Milo Clancy when listening to him in the audiobook. Joking aside, it probably won't come as a surprise to learn that I enjoyed the serial. No, you're right. I'm not surprised. 
I tend to be biased in favor of any story that has continually changing locations instead of just going back and forth between two or three points. From a space beacon to the discount Millennium Falcon... <laughs> To the underground tunnels on Tar, uh, the action stayed on the move. Uh, if I had any real gripe, it would be about how long it took to get the TARDIS troop into the action. Much of the first episode is spent developing the setting before the TARDIS even lands. Yeah, you're right. Uh, more than half of it. One little detail, he goes on, one little detail I found interesting is that one of the main people trying to resolve the situation, General Hermack, uh, the V-Master. <laughs> oh, wow, he says, and I cannot wait to see what, if anything, Ponkin can do with that one. <laughs> Never actually meets the Doctor face-to-face -face that I recall in the story. Uh, and he concludes with, finally, am I the only one who found it amusing to hear Jamie, of all people, say, candles in this day and age? <laughs> no, not just you. I love that scene. Wait, hang on. General Hermack, that's General Igor to you and me, uh, lady and or gentleman of podcast land. It, he was called the V-Master? Are you serious? The V-Master? <laughs> what? How did I miss that? Oh my god, he's the master of the V. Yeah. I mean, I'm in no way surprised. That guy was a poon hound and a half. With that accent alone, oh my god, he gets laid left, right, and center. <laughs> he has mastered the V. That is amazing. <laughs> I'm sorry that I missed that. That's fantastic. All right, uh, Stephen, thank you so much for sending that in. Uh, love it, as always. Ladies and gentlemen of Podcast Land, I know you're already following Stephen on Twitter, but you know what? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to create another Twitter account just so that you can follow him twice. He is at sgamer82. That's 82, the numbers. Okie dokie, and we have one more. This one comes from Paul Faber. He, he submitted um, It's a little bit longer than, than expected, and it is, uh, it's actually probably a way, but not probably, it is definitely a way better summary of the actual plot than I've delivered over the past 40 minutes. Uh, so I, I encourage you, if any of what I said didn't make sense, or in fact, if you want a second opinion, or in fact, if you just enjoy a good read, a very, very well-formulated one at that, then I suggest that you go to whobackwhen.com, click on this post, this episode, what's it called? The Space Pirates, and read Paul Faber's uh, review in its full splendor, uh, because he summarizes it well better than I do. I will say, though, he concludes with the following paragraph. Robert Holmes' second story employs a mournful score and lots of impressive model work. Very true. I didn't point that out. These elements account for its slow pace until the final episode cranks up the tension to fever pitch. Each member of the main cast has a moment to shine as we wend through the twists of the plot. I relied on the loose canon reconstruction of the five missing episodes and I've heard the BBC audio narrated by Fraser Hines, who played Jamie. Only the second episode remains in the BBC archives to give the flavor of this enjoyable space operatic diversion. Wonderful. Unsurprisingly, he is on Twitter at WordsmithPaul. So please, high five him from me. Paul, thank you very much for sending this in. First off, I didn't realize that Fraser Hines narrates this. That's that's awesome. I, I think I, I... Oh, I'm not entirely sure. Maybe I'm just talking out of my ear hole now. But I have a feeling that I've listened to some other audiobook, which was also narrated by Fraser Hines, I mean. And as I recall, he did a very good job. So presumably he did the same here. I, I'm also in assuming that, as you say, this enjoyable space operatic diversion, that you are... I mean, while it may not give you all the profundity that you'd find in another episode, that you still do like it. So... Here's what I want to know. What's your rating, man? What do you think of this? And in fact, now, now that I think of it, wait, S Gamer, Steven, what do you think of this? Where's your rating, man? Oh, you guys are slipping up. I want to know what you think. So add another comment on who back when. Awesome stuff. Bing bong, future punk in here. About half an hour after I stopped recording and had already started editing this episode, uh, guess what? Yeah, that's right. Another listener mini dropped in and I simply couldn't resist. So this one comes from... Peter Zunich, the Zedmeister. Hello, Peter. How you doing? Everything good? Rad. Peter says, The epic scale of this story is ultimately betrayed by the simple storyline, and the little bit of action is overwhelmed by an epic amount of dialogue. The space shots are great, but there's just too many, and the rest of the sets were stark and uninspiring. While the recon is outstanding, the recycling of the same telesnaps dulls enthusiasm even further. If there were a story that truly would benefit from more recovered footage, this would probably be second on the list. The opera music was fine at first, then it wasn't. Finally, the climax of the story is way too drawn out to be exciting. The characters are acted well enough, but were written with little depth. 
Only two have any real backstory, and there's little interpersonal relations with which to engage the viewer. Further, the TARDIS crew are reduced to merely being bystanders with little to do. Yeah, that's actually kind of true. Okay, <laughs> Peter goes on. Most missed footage is anything with Domi Sigri. It sounds like he put on a good performance. Retro rewrite is easy. A third storyline with flashbacks to the early days of Madeline, Dom, and Milo, so we have something to make us care about these characters. Where this story does succeed is costuming and scope. And <laughs> wait, costuming really? Okay. And despite all the negatives, it's really not a complete failure. Yet it could have been something worthy of a TV movie. That's very true. Ultimately, though, they're just wasn't enough engaging material to span the length of the serial. This story earns a Jimmy Stewart impersonation rating of 2.2. Yeah, that's a, that's a super fair rating, man. Peter, thank you for, for your mini. I hadn't considered the music. Probably agree with you. You're spot on as far as the characters are concerned. Not sure I agree with the costuming, dude. I guess the military uniforms are pretty great. Well, actually, I will say this. I think the medieval astronaut uniform, I think that's awesome. That has cosplay potential written all over it. I'm, I'm 100% on board for that costume, but I, it just didn't feel very realistic. Like, how are you going to move around in space for that? And why does only one dude wear one of them? You know, that sort of thing. Loved the metal wigs. I guess that falls into the same department. So actually, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. 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 Okay, fine. I was not a huge fan of the, of the dick hat. I'll say that. Your flashback idea is very interesting. I would love to have a flashback. I would love to know more of their backstory and I would love to see maybe some of their adventures. But do we ever get flashbacks in Classic Who? I mean, so far anyway, have we ever gotten a single flashback? I'm not sure that we have. If I'm mistaken, please pop a comment on this post on whoback1.com and correct me. But I suppose an alternative to that might be we write in a time travel story and we get them to discover the, you know, the travelers to discover young Madeline, Dom and Milo. That could be pretty cool. Overall, Love your mini. Great rating. <laughs> Jimmy Stewart. Yep. Spot on. Uh, thank you very much for sending that in. As far as I recall, you don't have Twitter, so I'm not going to give you a Twitter shout out, but I will. I will give you an auditory high five. High five. Okay. Cha-chao. Back to the show. Bing bong. Uh, I think that's pretty much it for this episode. It's a very, very quick uh, solo review. Next up, we're going to have a new Who review. We are sitting down to watch and review the Suntaran Stratagem. Really looking forward to that one. Really, really looking forward to that one. Especially because uh, earlier on today, I found out from Drew, Drew back when, who plays the Sontaran. <laughs> That's really exciting. Anyway, check that out on IMDb and or tune in next week to, to find out. After that, we have another classic episode. It'll be The War Games, uh, which we'll be watching on DVD here in the Ponkin Enterprises studio because Super Hoovian, an all-around amazing person, <laughs> uh, Liam Cahill, generously donated us, uh, it to us uh, did I mention this, by the way? I did, didn't I? Well, only part of it. Uh, after the initial volley of DVDs that he sent us, there was a second volley with even more box sets. So once again, thank you so much for that, Liam. Super generous. What else? Oh, yeah, right. So after that, I suppose there's going to be an audiobook <laughs> review at some point in the new year, presumably, when, when JD comes back out of hiding. And that will be a review of The Cannibalists. Should say, I don't know how many episodes we are going to be able to cram in before Christmas. It's already the 11th of December. Expect the following in 2016. A new and at least a bonus episode. Yeah, I'm going to say that. Definitely a bonus episode. All right. We're not there yet, though. So in the meantime and thereafter, if you want to say hi to me, you can. High-five me online and I will high-five you right back. I am at Ponkin. You know how to spell that. Thank you so much for listening. Be rad and excellent to each other. Rock on and cha-chao. Bye. <laughs> so I always wanted to do that. Bing bong, future Ponkin here. I just want to jump in before the end credits uh, with a, a very, very special message from a very, very special person. I'm sitting in the Ponkin Enterprises studio right now with Mirimu. Hello, Mirimu. Hello, Ponkin. Hello. How are you doing? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? <laughs> oh, we are so polite. We live together. Yes, the... <laughs> So the reason that uh, we are sitting here, uh, dear ladies and gentlemen of podcast land, is that Mirimu has a very special project lined up for next year, for 2017. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, that's right, Ponkin. Um, so in the summer of 2017, I will have the opportunity to go and volunteer as a project worker in a secondary school in East Africa. I will be going with this uh, charity organization that's called Education Partnerships Africa. 
which is a great charity run by volunteers whose aim is to empower East African schools with resources necessary for them to deliver a better quality education. L- like what? Like what are you going to be working on, for example? So basically my job will be to determine the needs of the school based on the organization, the post-secondary opportunities. I will be there to support students' welfare and rights and improve generally health and facilitating learning. That sounds super cool. I'm reacting. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be honest with you. I- I'm reacting to this as though I've never heard it before. I have obviously heard it before. We, we live together and, and I know all about this and I can tell you this is, this is a super amazing thing. I, I mean, I wish I had the cojones to go out into the world and do something like this. Basically, to summarize this, if, if you'll permit me, Miriam, is she's going to go to either Kenya or Uganda. She doesn't know yet herself. We'll find out very, very soon. And spend three months there improving the lives of of students, of, of kids going to school. I say students. I mean, we're talking about teenagers, basically. Yeah. Things that, that most of us take for granted, like clean water and good facilities for education, they're not necessarily to be taken for granted there, but this organization really, really helps make that happen. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're not going there to specifically teach anything to them, but rather to see what the condition of the schools are and see what's needed. Therefore, um, we are trying to fundraise for this project. Now we get down to it, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> And um, I will only be able to make an impact on these schools and on these amazing students that I'm sure I will get to know better and also on the community by fundraising and making sure that they have all the resources they need in order to be able to study, like we need books or build a library or build water tanks or provide electricity, all the standard things of living that we give for granted, basically, in yeah. our everyday life. And, and I mean, okay, so you've probably already deduced what we're getting at here. Christmas is approaching and Christmas, as we all know, is a time for giving. So here's the, here's the thing, basically. We're not asking for money for Miriam. This isn't even money no, no. to like pay for a, a ticket there or anything like that. This is literally money that will go directly to these schools we don't exactly. N- exactly know which projects they're going to be but whatever these projects are they're going to have an impact and so if you're struggling to think of some charity to give to this year or if you're struggling to think of which project seems really worthwhile that you want to give like even just like a pound a dollar yes, exactly every little depending helps. on where you are yeah then there's a fundraising website that's been set up for this already and uh, you can find it actually the easiest thing for you to do is to go to whobackone.com slash africa what's that url again Miriam? It's whovetgwen.com slash Africa. That's right. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, literally every little counts. And even if you don't, then you know what? It's the thought that counts. So uh, give a thought and a smile to to Mirimo for this. Yes, guys, thank you very much. I would really appreciate your help greatly. So thank you so much. And let's do some good this Christmas. Oh. Oh, okay. I'm sold. Thank you very much for that, ladies and gentlemen. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Okie dokie. Back to the show, by which I mean the end credits. Ciao-ciao. Ciao-ciao. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. Don't have any friends? No problemo. Tell some strangers. Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you on Google Plus? Find us on Google Plus. That's plus who back when. And when you do, tell us why you're on Google Plus. Who Back When just got its very own Twitter account, no lie, so give us a follow. You guessed it, that's at Who Back When, all in one word. Check us out on SoundCloud, vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher, and head on over to our website, whobackwhen.com, where you can leave a comment, submit a review of your own, and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. Not only would it make us super chuffed, and it really, really would, but as thanks, we will transmigrate your iTunes nom de plume into the credit list of trailers for fake Doctor Who audiobooks produced by Who Back When. Have a poke around our bonus episodes to make more sense of that. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next classic Who review, new Who review, or <laughs> still funny audio Who review. Cha ciao. Who back when?